0: Thank you, everyone. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible privilege uh, to be here with all of you today. That that was an amazing uh, set of presentations. So, just I, I wish I was here a year ago to hear that before we started working on this adaptation <laughs> report. Um, I, I was not invited here because I know more about agriculture than any of you in this room. I think I was invited here uh, in part uh, because I helped. Uh, I led the team that wrote the report that we're talking about today, the adaptation report, and helped set up the commission about a year ago. And I wanted to um, share a little bit of the story of the commission, but then also kind of share with you some of the main findings from the report and how this work was absolutely central to it. And I, I do want to kind of point out both both Rajul and Channing and the role that IFPRI played uh, in this commission with the background work, with the food paper, uh, hugely important and clearly Bill, uh, Bill Gates' um, role as a co-chair and the entire Gates Foundation not only on the food chapter, but the overall commission has been absolutely instrumental. So we're very, very delighted about that. Um, this commission, um, and I, I'm not sure I would recommend doing commissions to others, was, 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 um, was fascinating, right? Um, an idea that we came up with about a year ago, and uh, we thought a couple of things. We really needed to elevate the visibility of adaptation on the public agenda. Everyone talked about mitigation. People felt if you talked about adaptation, moral hazard issues, right? Giving up on mitigation, can't talk about that. Uh, we live in a world where we must do both. But we also recognized, we did it more than just a report. right? So the report, the evidence base, hugely important, but we wanted to translate that into a set of actions, a year of action. So this commission, we, we talked about this with the Dutch um, the Dutch were, played a key role in helping set this up. We launched the commission back in October. We have three phenomenal co-chairs, right? Could you imagine the head of the Gates Foundation, former SG of the United Nations, and now the incoming, most likely, managing director of the IMF? I mean, it's an incredible. Thirty-four commissioners in total. We also had 20 convening countries, meaning countries that authorized the commission, but gave independence to the commission in terms of what we would say, signed off at the head of state level, including China, India, Germany, the UK, Canada, at the head of state level. So we're trying to get the political buy-in behind that commission. We started writing this report in January. So we had eight months. We had three meetings with the commissioners, and we needed to get sign-off from all the commissioners. Again, something I would not recommend. But, but we ended up in a, in, a, in a fairly good place. We launched the report uh, last September 10th. Uh, phenomenal media to begin with, but there's going to be a very big set of activities uh, in New York next week. And I wanted to share with you just just kind of four kind of high-level takeaways from from this report, which we still haven't yet printed properly, but we will have printed copies for those that may want that available in a couple of days, but I would encourage you all to go to the website to take a look at it. The The first big message we wanted to turn on its head was that the economics of investing in resilience made good sense. There's always been a sense that climate action costs money you can either focus on growth in jobs, or you could focus on tackling climate, whether that was about mitigation or adaptation. About five, seven years ago, we worked quite hard around trying to turn the paradigm around mitigation, that investing in reducing emissions made good economic sense. But people still thought adaptation just costs money. And at some level, it's true. No one wants more global warming. No one wants higher temperatures, more uncertain precipitation. But if you accept that, as we are in a one degree world, we're trending to a much higher world at the moment, what do you do? And so we actually looked and identified five broad areas where the benefit cost ratios of investing in resilience made good economic sense. We looked at early warning systems. We looked at protecting mangroves. We looked at dryland agriculture. We looked at more efficient allocation and use of water and more resilient infrastructure. And in these five areas, we find that investing a dollar returns about four or five or six dollars in terms of economic benefits. Some of those benefits are because of avoided losses, early warning systems. Think of Bangladesh. 1970, 300,000 people died in a cyclone. Um, a country that's ravaged by cyclones. They invested heavily in early warning systems, in shelters, in the institutions that could help predict and protect people. Similar cyclone hit this year of the same magnitude as in 1970, a few dozen people died. Still tragic, but orders of magnitude better. So those investments hugely, hugely effective. But we realized that the economic argument was not just about avoided losses. It was also that there were economic environmental and social co-benefits often by investing in these areas. Think of mangroves. Mangroves provide not only protection against storm surges, but they also provide um, uh, fisheries, recreational services, other services that generate significant value. Think um, Think of more efficient use of water. Think of drip irrigation. Useful if there's a drought. But even if there isn't a drought, you're using water more productively. Think of the TFP that Channing and Keith showed earlier. Contributes to greater growth. So first argument was economics. Second argument was, well, if the economics are so clear, why isn't more happening? Right? And there's some really, really kind of tenacious challenges with adaptation. Risk isn't very visible. Um, people have a short-term bias. Working and responding to adaptation oftentimes requires working across silos, right? Whether it's across horizontally, across government ministries or line departments, or even vertically. How do you connect local government, state government, national government together? So whether the financial system is able to recognize the importance and how to invest in issues related to resilience. And quite importantly, the underlying power dynamics involved with adaptation. Adaptation hits the poorest the hardest. And quite frankly, the poor have very little political voice. Think of the Montreal Protocol. Ozone protection got a huge agreement so quickly. Why? Because the rich world, the middle class was affected. Adaptation, oftentimes frontline communities, frontline populations have the least voice. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we address this? So the second thing that we said in this report is we needed to see a revolutions in knowledge, in planning or governance, and in finance. And we laid out an agenda in each of these three areas of how to address those underlying barriers. Third, second message. Third message was, OK, if you accept that, what do we do? And so we re- realized an important part of this conversation was not to talk just to the adaptation or the climate or even the development community, but how do we broaden the conversation? So we needed to bring this conversation to people that worked on food, on water, on infrastructure, on health, on disaster risk management, and so forth. So the third part was we actually have a set of systems, um, these economic systems, and we put forward what were the important entree points or interventions that we felt we needed to focus on to build or integrate resilience into these sectors. So this, what this report does, the second part of this report, it goes through six or seven of these systems where climate impacts will be the hardest, and it talks about where, where do we intervene. And that's where I just wanted to show you, because this seminar was so fascinating, because the, um, this is, this is a, uh, a model of how one should present slides, um, right? Um, <laughs> but if you bear with me, uh, this is something I, I'm not going to take full credit for this. I'm going to give some credit to the Gates Foundation for helping pull this together, but it was never meant to be a slide, obviously. But all five things that we spoke about today, this is, this is the sum up of the recommendations that we felt we needed to focus on to really br- you know, build, integrate resilience into agriculture. right? And we talked about what kind of intervention. We talked about how strong the evidence is, the breadth of applicability across the world. And you'll see R&D, you'll see extension, you'll see income diversification and the use of risk uh, and other forms of insurance. Big, big focus on women. And just as a side point, does anyone know why today is so important uh, regarding women's rights? Today was the first day that a country gave universal suffrage to women. Anyone know what country that was? New Zealand. Who said that? Smart. <laughs> New Zealand, 1893. And in no small part because of the strong indigenous population in New Zealand, who, which had very, very strong, positive attitudes towards women. So quite, a, quite an interesting side point, but important. But issues of women. Um, and then also even around agroecological approaches and the issues of how we deal with pest management. So all of the things you spoke about today were things that we were reflecting in this report. So that was the third message. And we did this for these different systems, for water, for infrastructure, for natural environment, for disaster risk management, and so forth. And the fourth and final point from this report was recognizing it needed to be much more than a report. We needed it to lead to a set of action tracks. And so you heard, we we have three major areas for our food action track that we're gonna be launching next week in New York. Uh, You heard already quite a bit around doubling the scale of investment into agricultural research. There's gonna be two others around expanding access to digital advisory services and expanding small-scale food producers' access to insurance Um, finance and markets. So these three areas will be important things that we try to uh, focus on. I just want to close with, you know, as we think about um, this, probably just as we think about this in the kind of more, better, new, which I think is a really kind of nice way to think about this, just to give one more quick final reflection on that. You know, adaptation is, uh, climate change is something that is clearly creating an increasing set of challenges in a sector for a, set of, uh, for a set of people that are already facing many, many challenges. And the way we were trying to think about the more, better, new was a recognition that a lot of what we need to do to deal with climate change, a lot, is more of what we're already doing about helping farmers protect themselves against the various risks that they face. But some things need to be different. Right? So when you think about R&D and you think about the doubling R&D into the CG system, you know, how we focus more on drought resistant, flood resistant crops. So thinking a little bit about how you tweak existing work to actually make it more responsive to the challenges we face. But even then, that may not be enough for some, right? And that's where the new piece comes in, recognizing that what we might see as modest changes to what we do will work for some. But for other populations, it will be about switching crops. It might even be about new livelihoods, right? And I'm gonna close here with just a very quick story. I was late coming here from the office. I made the mistake of taking an Uber instead of taking the Metro, which cost me more time. But only in Washington, right? My driver was uh, Ethiopian, uh, lived in uh, the South uh, Ethiopia, left, because of um, because of problems uh, farming and uh, just spoke so eloquently about about climate change about uh, his new new right not more not different but his new livelihood of finding something else and he just closed and it was just very uh, interesting because it comes back to the mitigation point then he made an impassioned, speech about how we all have to give up meat because of what it was contributing to climate change. But I just wanted to bring that together because only in Washington will you get these stories where you learn more coming you know, to an office than you would ever imagine. But thank you all. Appreciate the patience. Uh, delighted to be here.